I never really thought I'd tell a story about nakedness, even though it's a story as old as humankind. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. After creating a beautiful world that was able to sustain life, and when God decided it was exactly the perfect time to do so, he created humankind. The Father, Son, and Spirit said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them fill the earth and subdue it. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He created them so they could be in relationship with him and one another. He wanted to love them and wanted them to love and worship him with who they were and what they did. He knew this would be a forever relationship of great intimacy and freedom. He created mankind in his image as relational beings. He created them to find satisfaction in a job well done. He created them to have souls that would live forever. He walked and talked with them and enjoyed fellowship as creator with the created. Until that one day, when being their own God sounded more appealing to them than being loved by the true God. Even though being their own God was entirely impossible, as they were the created ones and not the creator. When the serpent, who was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made, questioned them. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You can almost hear in this, wow, God is not good. He is restrictive. He's a drag. The woman answered the serpent, no, we may eat from the trees in the garden. And at this point, you almost envision her looking from serpent to tree to Adam to fruit, to serpent, to sky, to ground, and she goes on, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and, she adds a restriction, you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent wound around the truth as he wound around the tree and said, you won't surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Hmm, This sounded attractive to be like God. Who wouldn't want that? There were two statements. God said you will die. The serpent says you won't surely die. The first was said by the loving creator who crafted mankind in his image and made them for relationship with him and one another. The second was said by the crafty serpent who wanted to disrupt this garden, this relationship, this synergy between creator and created. At this point, the created paused fell for the serpent's line, and bit. We could be like God, knowing good and evil, so we could decide what we want to do, and we could decide when we want to do it, and we can set our own limitations and tell ourselves our own truths and walk in freedom designed by us, eating whenever we want? What could possibly be wrong with that? And their eyes were open, and instead of feeling powerful, they felt shame. And instead of being fully realized, they just realized they were naked and had to scramble for cover. 
which I could relate to just a bit. I grew up on a lake and my mom insisted we all learn how to swim. Seems to make sense. I found out as I got older that she was never afforded the opportunity to take swimming lessons, so she herself felt vulnerable and she'd watch her kids running and playing by the lake, and so she was going to make sure that we all could swim. I remember that the lessons were given at our lake in two-week sessions with either, there was either three or four sessions offered each summer, and we were signed up for all of them. (laughs) You maybe thought I said one of them. I didn't. I definitely said all of them. Now, granted, some summers we would miss a week or a day or a few days in the sessions due to camp or family vacation or something, but every other day that we were home, we were getting up at what felt like the crack of dawn, which is probably more like 8.30, but it felt like the crack of dawn. We would eat our breakfast of egg, cereal, and juice and walk along the perimeter of the lake to the beach and wait for our swimming lessons. Mrs. Hansen oversaw the program. She was an energetic, ageless sort of woman. She'd clomp around in the lake with tennis shoes on her feet and a bullhorn in her hand. When it was time to start lessons, she'd announce station numbers and kids would scramble to their spots. The teachers would already be standing in their place. Our favorite ones were the ones that were ready to get in the water. The others sported hooded sweatshirts and hugged their bodies, confirming what we already knew to be true. Taking swimming lessons at a lake on a Minnesota summer morning can sometimes be very cold and sometimes even miserable. But it didn't make sense to us. They were the ones being paid to be here. They should at least get their sweatshirts off and be miserable with the rest of us. Lessons started in Tiny Tots, which was for three or four-year-olds, which is what I ended up teaching when I was about 15. I'd sit in the water with the kids. They'd be afraid or too young to join with the beginners. So that was that. But Mrs. Hansen would go over, and she would begin announcing the beginning classes. She would shout, Beginners, pay attention. Station one. This is where you'd learn to put your face in the water and blow bubbles. And then she'd clomp over. To the next teacher, who was standing there with two fingers raised in the air, Mrs. Hansen, Station two! At which point we'd learn how to do a front float and a back float. Then, Station three! Floating and kicking. Station four! Rhythmic breathing. Station five! Putting it together. And Station six! Where you'd take your beginner's test. After beginners, you'd graduate to advanced beginners, which met at the small raft, then on to intermediates and swimmers who shared the larger raft, and then there was life-saving if you were interested later in pursuing a career as a teacher or a lifeguard or something. Because my mom wanted us to swim and swim well, and also I have a sneaking suspicion she thought it was pretty handy having your kids walk to swimming lessons and stay occupied for hours at the start of practically every single summer day, rain or shine, unless there was thunder or lightning, So we all ended up going through all of the programming. Because I had gone through all of the programming, I was eligible to do one more thing I wasn't interested in. I could teach a swimming class that Mrs. Hansen offered on Monday evenings at the local junior high for kids who had difficult finding time or availability or access to swimming lessons in the summer. I was in junior high at this time, either in 7th or 8th grade, I can't really remember which. I had joined a synchronized swim team, which met after school until 4 or 5, depending on the schedule, and Mrs. Hansen's class started at 6.30 on Monday nights, which my mom looked at and said, perfect timing. She told Mrs. Hansen, I'd be happy to volunteer to teach this class, since here I was already at the school where the lessons would be held. She said she'd pack me a supper. I could bring it in a bag, I could eat it in the locker room and wait the mere hour and a half 
or two and a half hours until people arrive for lessons. She said, I'm sure she'll have homework or something to keep herself busy. I was not a fan of this plan. First, I didn't like teaching kids. Second, I didn't like waiting in the locker room for so long. Third, I was kind of afraid of Mrs. Hansen which made it worse because I couldn't say no now. My mom had volunteered me, and if I had any hopes of continuing to have a job in the summer, I felt like I was stuck. Fourth, I was a very small junior high student, and a number of the kids I taught were close to my size. And when they'd get afraid in the water, they'd stick to me like white on rice, grab around my neck, and cry and drool. I didn't love it, but I did it. One day, I don't remember if synchronized swimming was done at four or five, but either way, I found myself killing time alone in the locker room for another Monday night. I'd forgotten my big beach towel, so I sat on the bench to eat my bag supper, shivering in my wet school-issued army green bathing suit, clutching a scratchy school towel that felt much more like a loofah pad. I had a hard time concentrating on reading the book I brought and decided, ah, it must be because I'm so cold and I need to dry off somehow. I walked to the hand dryers that were installed pretty high up in the locker room. After gym, we would use them to dry and then unwittingly style our hair. I pushed the dryer and tried to stand under it, but it wasn't powerful enough to dry me off or warm me up. So I gave up and I went back to my bench. It wasn't too many minutes later that I had what I thought was a brilliant and likely foolproof idea. I grabbed my apple from my supper, walked to the hand dryers, took off my suit, hung my suit up on the round silver button that I pressed to click the dryer on. I pressed it on and I hid in the bathroom stall and took a few bites of my apple. When the dryer would stop, I'd run out, click it again, and make my way back to the stall. I repeated this a few times and felt like this was working really well until the squeaky wheel ended my plan. Not the squeaky wheel like someone tattled on me. There was actually a real squeaky wheel. I heard the squeaking wheels of a towel cart approaching. I knew it wasn't coming alone and figured I had a couple minutes before the janitor would be in the locker room. I couldn't run back to the bathroom stall because that would cross the aisle and cross his path. Instead, I ran toward my bag supper on the bench. I climbed into a locker, I kid you not, I climbed into the locker and clutched the little louver air vents that were at the top of the locker with my fingernails. I assume these vents are usually used to air out your gym clothes and not to like provide life. But I gripped these air vents under my fingernails, pulled the door slowly toward me, but careful not to latch it shut. I heard the dryer stop. I heard the squeaky wheels go up and down the aisles. I heard the janitor walk back and forth. I heard him whistle while he worked. I heard the broom sweeping across the floor. I heard the crumpling noise of a lunch bag. I heard the squeaky wheels again. And finally, I heard the locker door open and close and the squeaking wheels vanished in the distance. My fingers felt locked in place, but fortunately the door was not. I walked out and prayed as I slunk around to the hand dryer. Yes, it was still there. I was overjoyed. I was so relieved. My dinner, on the other hand, was gone. And I wanted more, but I only had a chance to finish my apple before I had to hide naked. Now, lest you think this might be trite, what I'm going to say next 
please know, I am well aware that a janitor pushing a towel cart isn't at all the same as the sound of the Lord God in the garden. But I was naked and there was a sound of someone coming and I felt a panic, which wouldn't have happened at all if Adam and Eve had stayed away from the fruit in the first place, but they didn't. And it did, and I can't blame them because I know I would have done the same exact thing. What happened once Adam and Eve ate their fruit? There was distance and fear and blame and consequence. Genesis says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden at the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called and said, Where are you? Did God not know? Had the bite of fruit affected God somehow? No, he was calling out to those he had created. He was reaching out to them in the midst of their guilt. God himself, the creator, was reaching out to them in the midst of their guilt. And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The Lord God knew. He was giving an opportunity to respond in accountability. He was inviting them to identify how they had stepped outside of the boundaries God had intended for them. That would have brought them life and flourishing. Instead, sin made Adam blame God and look at Eve as a culprit rather than a companion. And he said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? What had she done? She'd fallen for a lie. She decided she wanted to be her own God instead of God's own. But instead of taking responsibility, admitting her guilt, and speaking truthfully to God who is truth and who already knew the truth, the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me. So I ate. Sin had entered into the human experience. This desire to do what we want, when we want, how we want, and where we want took precedence over what God said. The desire to be our own God, to decide for ourselves what is good and evil, took a higher priority over what God had said was good, above what God had said was very good. Isaiah called it everyone turning to their own way. And mankind was guilty of shifting the focus of worship from the creator to the created. And because of his great love, God knew he was going to do something about it. God, in his love and mercy, covered Adam and Eve, prevented them from living forever in the sinful state. God, in his love and mercy, gave Moses later on the Ten Commandments to show the people who was holy and who was not. This law revealed that the Creator was holy and the created was not. God gave the people a system of sacrifices to cover their sin. They sinned, they sacrificed. They sinned, they sacrificed. The sacrifice, they were told, was to be the best. They were to bring the best they had because they were offering it to the best that ever was and is and is to come. God said his relationship with them could continue as they did this and as they did as he commanded. But the people couldn't keep it up and sin continued. And once again and again and again, the created decided they want to be their own God instead of God's own. They started choosing cruddy sacrifices so they could bless themselves with their best. They built a new place to worship because it was more convenient for them. They continued to ask questions like, why do we have to do what God says? We have a better idea that makes things easier for us. We'd like to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and how we want to do it. He's not the boss of us. (laughs) In Scripture, we see that's exactly the state of affairs when the Old Testament ended. 
people, bringing crappy sacrifices, saving the best for themselves, and the priests not caring, and God is not worshipped. And then God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not die, but would have everlasting life. Jesus agreed to come, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. Well, once the created lived in the rhythm of sin, then sacrifice, sin, then sacrifice, sin, then sacrifice, now the one who is sinless offered himself as the sacrifice for the sins of the world once for all. Jesus laid down his own life and then took it up again because he had the authority to do so. Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as on an altar of sacrifice so that we would be immune from the power and penalty of sin. And instead, we'd be able to live for righteousness. We can know now that if we confess our sin, God will always and always and always forgive us, not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus we can now boldly approach God himself. We can be naked and unashamed before him. We can share all of who we are with all of who he is and walk in relationship with him. Let's together ask God to help us rid ourselves of our desire to do what we want, how we want, when we feel like it. And instead, let's desire together to live together with God and for God. 